There are moments that we have with people that are completely ordinary. Going to work, doing the ordinary things of doing shopping and bumping into people and meeting friends or what other, other things that we might do. And there are other moments that we have with people where we suddenly have an incredibly deep connection. It could be uh, with a husband or a wife and you have one of those glorious romantic moments and your eyes meet over the candles and you, you remember what it was like when you first met and your hands caressed. Pa- no, well, it does happen. Be hopeful. Or those moments where you're talking to another person and you realize that you've had the same experience. You've been in the same place or at the same time or, or you felt the same thing. Just with another human being. Those moments that are ordinary and those moments where suddenly we go very, very deep. For Moses, he, uh, as we heard last week, uh, he has gone out into the wilderness. He's uh, met his father-in-law and his wife, and he's he's gone from being one of the pharaohs in charge, part of the royal family, included when he shouldn't have been, to being excluded. Out on the hills. He's about 40 years old when he kills uh, the Egyptian who is uh, being, treating one of uh, his, his family harshly. And he spends, because everything in the Bible happens in 40s or 7s, he spends 40 years wandering around with the sheep. And I wonder how many times he's walked this bit of land. I wonder how many times he's walked around this mountain and whether or not it's got a name as a holy mountain before this point. Almost doesn't matter. To him, it's become ordinary. This is the place where the sheep get fed. This is the place where he hopes he'll stay warm enough. This is the place where he hopes he'll find water. Forty years pass. Forty years pass, so he's 80 when this happens. He's 80. You've got it. You've done the maths. Come up here and preach. During that time, what's happened? What's happened during that time is he's stopped thinking of himself as the one who would be Israel's saviour. That passion of a man who's in middle age, in his 40s, where he's got overrun with himself and he's killed an Egyptian and then run away. He's left that. Forty years wandering the hills. The culture of Egypt has been burnt off him. His pride 
has been worn down, perhaps even his vision abandoned. And finally, finally in that place, he's usable by God. No more the man out the front saying, come on Lord, follow me. At 80 years old, God speaks to him. At 80 years old, that place that he's passed probably so many times before suddenly looks different. And it's strange how it's phrased in Exodus chapter 3 because we, we get the setup already that God is doing something amazing. The bush is burning and is, uh, but is not burning up. We read in the first couple of verses. And Moses looks at it and sees it and just thinks that it's odd. <laughs> this amazing thing is happening right before, he, before his eyes and he thinks that it's odd. So he goes over just to have a look. You see, this is ordinary, normal shepherding time for Joseph, for, for Moses. He's not expecting God to show up. So he goes over and he has a look and God speaks to him from that place. When I was about 15, 16 years old, I, I was having this wrestle because the, the church that I'd been brought up with, uh, I'm really grateful for the heritage that I have for them in terms of valuing the word of God, but they didn't particularly value the presence of God. And as I was starting to try and read scripture for myself, I was having this wrestle because what I was being taught was was part of the package, but it wasn't the whole package. I was reading more in the word of God and I was having this wrestle kind of going, Lord, there must be more. And I remember going to uh, a party and it was, I don't know, it was one of those sleepover parties that you go to as a kind of 15, 16 year old. And I think probably everyone else was on the lash. And I found a corner and tried to go to sleep. And I remember, I remember being sideways, lying, I must have been, you know, obviously lying down. And I'm praying deeply, earnestly that the Lord would show himself to me. That somehow the earth would move. That I would get some kind of sign that God was there. Nothing happened. In this ordinary place, God shows up. And it's holy ground. Moses takes off his sandals he stepped into an extraordinary place, physically ordinary, but an extraordinary place. And in that place, God shows him who he is. You know, I, I, I guess from the, the conversation, because it seems like this is a conversation between Moses and God, that, that Moses is uh, hearing from verse 7 on in terms of, uh, God saying, look, I've heard the cries of my people. 
I'm on their case, don't worry. And I guess uh, all up until the very last verse, he's, yes, Lord, about time, well done, go on, Lord. And then the last line comes. So now go, I am sending you. And at that point, something different happens. Verse 11, but who am I? I'm just a shepherd wandering around the hills, regretting the past, trying to understand what I did, why you didn't rescue your people. Who am I? It's one of those key questions of the Bible. Who am I? We live in a culture where we get to define who we are. I am who I say I am. And in that there is a fundamental error. We don't get to define ourselves. We ask the question, Lord, who am I? And in response, he tells us who he is. And that informs who we are. The response is, in verse 11, I will be with you. I will be with you. Wherever you go, I will be with you. And you'll come back to this mountain to worship. You see, they have to go on a long journey. But the journey that they go on and the you who will come back and worship on that mountain isn't singular. It isn't just Moses, you will come back. It's you, the people of God, my people, will come back and worship on this place. And God says in verse 14, I am who I am. There's nothing, there's nothing in this world that can define me because I made it. I'm the one who sustains it. And we see the echo of that in John's Gospel. I am the bread of life, says Jesus. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the light of the world. Jesus Christ's claim to be God, the one who sustains, who made everything, the one who was before all things. And then in verse 15, God reveals his name and in in the uh, scriptures that we have, wherever you see the word Lord, but written in capital letters all the way through, It's the Hebrew name for God, Yahweh. The Hebrew name for God. Not even a name that you were allowed to say out loud. And whenever you see uh, Lord written in all capitals like that, that's what it's referring to. God now has a name. And the echo here is that his name Sounds in Hebrew like I am who I am. Not I am who I am in the English, but I am who I am in the Hebrew, which I I couldn't even begin to do justice to.
I had to wait before I experienced the presence of God. I traipsed around all sorts of churches and bumped into him and got close. I experienced his presence in all sorts of different ways. And for those of you that were around at the time of the Toronto Blessing, I remember some folks coming to the church that we were at in London from Vineyard Christian Fellowship. And they had they'd been over to Toronto and they came and, and these crazy people prayed at the front of our church. And everyone else experienced the presence of God but not me. And I had to wait six long weeks. And then the presence of God fell on me, and it was as if I was having open-heart surgery or a year's worth of counseling. Or it's, it's difficult to describe. And you know, I look back on those moments fondly, And I've experienced God move many times since then, as I'm sure you have. But you know, one of the things that I've taken away is that when we have those intimate, deeply moving moments, yes, I'd love to stay in them. And sometimes on those evenings, we would stay most of the night. And the experience was then sometimes going home as if it were drunk in the Holy Spirit. And I look back on those times in London and in North Devon, the first time I was slain in the Spirit at a Spring Harvest Conference, trying to drive home from that through the lanes of uh, North Devon uh, when I'm completely very, very drunk on the Holy Spirit. I'm just surprised I didn't get stopped by a policeman. Me and Philip would have been in good company. I look back on those moments fondly. And I remember them, and it's right to remember them. You know, the strange thing is we, we can't lead others where we haven't been. And Moses has to go back into Egypt... And lead the people out. And when they come out, they come to the place that he has been. And in that place, in that place on the mountain in Exodus 19, they experience the presence of the living God. Who has a name, Yahweh, that sounds like I am who I am or I will be who I will be. Folks, I don't, I don't know how long ago you last experienced the presence of God. But what I'm asking you to do this morning is if you have experienced Him in the past, is to call that into the presence, not for the sake of going back and standing in the old place and reminiscing, but to say yes today. Today, Lord. I choose to remember and say yes again and say, come, Lord. Because there are times 
when the atmosphere is thick with his presence and I long for those times. You know, Moses had lots of excuses, didn't he? Who am I? Send someone else. What shall I say when they, when I say that you, that you sent me? Who shall I say you are? And so God tells him, what if they don't listen to me or believe me? So God gives him a sign, a staff, a hand to go into, into his garment and blood to pour out onto the ground. Uh, but Lord, I, I can't even do that because look, I'm slow of speech. I'm slow of study. Maybe, maybe he was dyslexic or had a speech impediment. Who knows? Well, look, just go. Oh, Lord, I can't do it. Please send someone else. And God gets really infuriated. You know, this is our response, isn't it? We have these wonderful encounters with God. And he then says, oh, great, could you go and do this? And we go, oh, um, hang on. Uh, uh, there's something happening on Monday. And um, uh, there's, you know, there's, oh, yeah, no, I've got to sleep a bit on Tuesday. Hair's being done on Wednesday. Not mine, obviously. Although the kids have bought me caffeine shampoo for Christmas, so if you see me with amazing hair in like six weeks' time, I've told them I'll use it, but I don't think it's going to work. I'm just warning you in case it does. We've got all these excuses, but you know, God wants to get the job done, and if you're not willing to go, he will send someone else, even if he has to send someone else with you. But eventually Moses gets the idea and joins in. And you know, folks, as I read the word of God, there is no age limit. No, yes, you might want to hand things on to the next generation, and it's right to do so, but there is no age limit for experiencing the presence and the call of God. There is no age limit on doing the things that he's called you to do. And if you have checked yourself out and gone into retirement in the kingdom... Hear the voice of the Lord this morning. Not Mark, but the word of God. Calling you again. Those things that he set on your heart. Those encounters that you've had with him. And step out. Follow Jesus on the way. To the things that he is calling you to do. And I think together we'll see a little more of the kingdom of God in this place. Let me pray.